Well, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Young. As Daniel mentioned, I'm pastor here at New Life. Um, if we haven't met yet, I do urge you. Uh, we have a newcomer's lunch coming up right after service. Um, come to that. You know, Sunday team has the details on that. You'll hear a little bit more about that in the announcement time. Now, as mentioned by Daniel, we are in uh, December. We're in our Christmas series. So Christmas is right around the corner. Um, hopefully you guys are getting ahead of the curve with your gift-giving, gift-shopping, all that kind of stuff. And 2022 is coming to a close. And in the busyness of this season, uh, let's resolve to slow down our hearts, uh, to really focus on what the season is about, uh, focus on the Advent and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who brings peace on this earth. Uh, why don't I pray for us, and then we'll get into the sermon. Father, we say that your Son is the Prince of Peace. He's the one who brings peace upon this earth. He's the one who tells us to be peacemakers upon this earth. And so we turn to you when we talk about peace. And we ask, Lord, that you would give it to us. We've gone seeking everything in this world in order to find peace. And we know, Lord, that this world comes up lacking. And so we turn to you now and we ask, Lord... Give us peace in our hearts through the words that you have prepared for us. We pray, Lord, as we read about Zacchaeus, as we read about uh, what Jesus did as he encountered him, that you would help us, Lord, to focus upon what it is that you do, what it is that your son's mission is here upon this earth. And we pray, Lord, that that would affect our hearts in a great way. Indeed, it would change us from the inside out, Lord. Help us, Lord, to look to you, to seek you, and to receive you, God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What are some of the promises about God that you've heard, you know, in your time, whether coming to church or whether before coming to church? You know, something that must have brought you to church in the first place or something that's kept you coming along these years, uh, whether this has become a lifestyle to you or whether this is just something that you do you know, once a year, twice a year at Christmas and Easter, there must be something that keeps causing you to come to church. There must be something that continues to compel you to come to church. Now, I can remember coming to church and hearing about God's promise somewhere along the way. I don't know how it is that I first got introduced to church, but I remember hearing about this promise that God's going to make me happy, that God will fulfill me, that God will give me salvation and peace and will satisfy my needs. And maybe, you know, it was just my self-centered nature that warped this message a little bit. You know, maybe that's just how I remember things. Um, and maybe that's what made it easy to interpret all these things selfishly. Like we talked about last week, you know, and it keeps me coming to church for the time being. Because I was seeking satisfa- satisfaction in life, like most people do. I was seeking some sort of peace for my weary heart. I was seeking to be happy. Because I really, really wanted to be happy. And so I kept coming to church until that time when I was dissatisfied. Because I kind of thought along the way, hey, this doesn't work. You know, what I'm doing here, it's not working. Because I'm coming along, I'm listening to sermons, I'm trying to read the Bible, it's not working. I'm not satisfied. I'm not peaceful. Because when you start thinking about satisfaction as just getting what you want... It's only a matter of time until you come to that realization. And so I started seeking out my own peace. 
my own happiness. Now, if you're a WinterCon this year, you might have seen this picture of me. Um, it's not my proudest moment in life. If you weren't at WinterCon, I mean, welcome. You know, like um, I guess you get to see a little bit of me uh, when, way back when, you know, when I was seeking this peace. And this is where my my seeking ended up. Although this might not be the story with all of us, I hit rock bottom. Okay, this was at the pit of my existence. I don't know why someone took a photo during that time and then uploaded on Facebook for me to see. Thank you to my friends. Um, and I felt the furthest from God that I ever felt during this time. Mind, body, and heart. And I didn't find happiness where I was looking. I was far. I was far from God. Didn't want anything to do with God anymore, despite perhaps truly never knowing Him in the first place. I hated the church. They probably judged me for all the wrong I was doing anyway. And so I stayed on that road leading far away from God. Now on the road to Jerusalem, we see this guy, Zacchaeus, he's seeking out Jesus. And this passage is divided into two parts. With this first part on the road from Zacchaeus's perspective. And the second part, presumably, at his house from Jesus' perspective. Okay? We read here in this first part, Luke 19, 1-4, read with me. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. So who is this man Zacchaeus? You know, some of us who have been to church a long time, who have been to Sunday school, we might know like a little song about him. We're told that he's a tax collector, which already places a bias against him. Maybe not in today's society, but in this time, there was a bias. Not only this, but he was a chief tax collector. Tax collectors were hated in Jewish society. They were placed alongside murderers and thieves. This is how bad it was to be a a tax collector. It would be the equivalent of today if someone willingly worked for an oppressive regime. There were bootlickers that came in. They were coming in and ruling over us, and these people were saying... Yes, okay, I'll work for you guys. Just make sure to protect me and my family. Make sure that you make me rich. And so Zacchaeus got rich off the misery of others. If you ever saw the Korean drama Crash Landing on You, then it might be a somewhat imperfect example, but there's a guy named The Rat who works for the North Korean government. He's like listening in on conversations. A little bit similar because the village ostracizes him and his family. Okay, if you haven't seen it, it's okay. Not only is Zacchaeus a tax collector, not only is he the chief tax collector of this region, he's rich. Now, wealth is not necessarily categorized as evil. Okay, let's get that out of the way. But it is a danger when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to being a disciple, since we, we read in the scriptures that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so, although it might not be necessarily evil, it is entering into danger. In fact, Jesus and his disciples, only a little while ago, had encountered a wealthy man in Luke 18, 18 to 30. You don't have to turn there, but you can make, make a note of it maybe. He ended up turning away from following Jesus because of his possessions. 
Jesus had concluded that it was easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you see what kind of danger there is in wealth. All told, Zacchaeus is a rich sinner. This is how he's introduced to us, and so we have a bias against him as well. If we were from this culture, we'd be reading this, we'd be hearing about this and thinking, man, get this guy out of my Bible. I don't want to read about this guy. And it makes us wonder, how is Jesus going to interact with him? We read that Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. Clearly by this point, word had gotten around about who Jesus is, what he's doing, these miracles that he's pulling off, these people that he's interacting with, healing. And so Zacchaeus, he's taken action about his curiosity. A lot of people can become curious about Jesus. Maybe you've experienced this as well. Maybe you've experienced this in the people around you. But what do we do about it? This is the big question. Because some of us feel this curiosity, especially around this time of year, but then some of us just leave it at that. A curiosity, a flirtation, something to forget later. Some like to say that they'll believe when God shows them a sign and others take the initiative to go and see. In fact, earlier in the Gospel of Luke, there's a ruler named Herod, Herod Antipas in Luke 9, who also wanted to see Jesus. But what do we read about him? He leaves it at that, because unlike Zacchaeus, he stays in his comfortable palace. He doesn't act upon his curiosity. Zacchaeus, at great personal risk to himself, goes to see Jesus for himself. So what's the risk, you might be wondering? Zacchaeus climbs a sycamore tree, which can grow up to 18 meters tall. I think I have a picture of a sycamore tree here. They say that this is the actual tree that Zacchaeus climbed up. I'm not sure. It might just be a tourist trap. You know, Maybe they're trying to get your money or tourism dollars. But anyway, a sycamore tree can grow up to 18 meters tall. But this isn't even the biggest danger, even for people afraid of heights like me. The bigger danger was that Zacchaeus was entering into a crowd that objectively hates him. They hate this man. This is a crowd made up of the people that his employers, Rome, routinely abused. They're not ignorant to who Zacchaeus is. They know. They know who they pay their taxes to. He's a short man, the Bible tells us. And so immediately, he probably stands out a little bit because, you know, he, you can see who he is. We know that he must look a little bit distinctive. He's got money as well, so he probably dresses better than the people around him too. So you can imagine, you yourself would remember the short, well-dressed man that takes all of your money. Even if behind closed doors, this chief tax collector with the backing of Rome is a man to be feared within this crowd, he's just a little guy who could get hurt. He might have been the one to look down on these people that he was taxing. But right now, he can't see over them. There's this delicious irony at play when it comes to... Anyway, instead of worrying about what these people might do or think, he doesn't even let this crowd or his own natural height stop him from seeing Jesus. He climbs up the tree to see who this Jesus is. We read in scripture. What possesses a man to throw caution to the wind like this? To climb a tree 
where he's going to be very obvious. If you're short, maybe you're just trying to hide in the crowd. Maybe they won't notice me. But he's climbing up this tree. He's going to be visible to this crowd of people that hates him. Think about how people dressed at this time. He'd be very vulnerable climbing up this tree, if you know what I mean. How desperate do you have to be to do this? Maybe after going against his culture and his people in order to get rich and achieving everything that he had wanted, Zacchaeus realized that he had nothing. He had no peace. So what does Jesus do? Read with me verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. This is the only instance in the Gospels where Jesus invites himself into someone else's residence, into someone else's house. I don't know how you feel about someone inviting themselves over to your house. Maybe you're an extremely hospitable person. It certainly isn't normal or proper behavior at this time either. It's really frowned upon in this culture. Like, imagine, at the close of this service, I call out to Paul and praise him. I say, Paul, stop singing, come down from there. I need to come to your house and stay there overnight. You must feed me. You must... But just as Zacchaeus doesn't worry about what people might think, surely Jesus also doesn't worry. Because Jesus' call to Zacchaeus is urgent. Telling him, hurry. Because today, it is necessary for me to stay at your house. There's greater things at stake than just how someone might appear to everyone else. Now you need to know that Jesus' call is always urgent. It's not a matter of putting it off for the future. For next Christmas, next Easter, next week or tomorrow... The call of Jesus is to be responded to now. You who are here now, you who are listening now, Jesus' call is to be responded to now. So how did Zacchaeus respond? Verse 6, so he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. He enters directly into that crowd. He responded quickly and he responded joyfully. You know, when Jesus was born, there was no room at the inn for him. Like, when we're looking at our Bible verses on here that creative team put together, you see, well, he's on a hill here, but he's in a manger, okay, in the Bible, right? And so he's surrounded by all these sheep, all these, you know, livestock. But here he finds that he's welcomed into someone's home, into the home of a sinner. And now here, the perspective shifts in this story. Because Jesus is being received by Zacchaeus, and as he's welcomed into the home of this sinner, what's the response? Do the people celebrate like he accepts sinners? No one likes this. No one in this crowd is happy. The whole crowd is upset. Everyone is looking, and they're upset. Verse 7 reads, All who saw it began to complain. He's going to stay with a sinful man. Now, implicit in this statement is the judgment that these people are not sinful, like Zacchaeus. If you're ever saying, Jesus is staying with a sinful man, you're saying that you yourself are not sinful. 
Everything changes the moment that Zacchaeus comes down from this tree and receives Jesus joyfully. Things flip upside down because the crowd, once hostile to Zacchaeus, all of a sudden turns all of that hatred, all of that judgment on Jesus. And then something changes inside Zacchaeus. Verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Did Jesus ask for this? Did Jesus say, Zacchaeus, I know who you are, chief tax collector. Here's what you must do. Did he command Zacchaeus to do this? No, he did not. With the rich young ruler a chapter ago, this man grew sad because he was holding on to his possessions. But Zacchaeus, the grace of Christ has already changed him. And so he acts upon it. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house and his presence changes him. It's kind of a given that Zacchaeus has already extorted people. This is the nature of his work. If you're the chief tax collector, you're going to be taking money in an unlawful way sometimes. So Zacchaeus here repents and he makes amends, promising to give half of all of his possessions to the poor. There's a lot of money. And then, with the remaining half, to pay back four times as much as he took from those that he has cheated. And Jesus recognizes this change and he pronounces Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now you must know that this isn't a story that's talking about how great Zacchaeus is. It's clear from Luke's written account that Zacchaeus isn't a person whose actions that we're supposed to marvel at. We're not supposed to look at him in admiration thinking, okay, now I know what I have to do. Give away half my possessions. Thank God I'm not rich like Zacchaeus. Give four times as much as I've cheated from other people. Thank God I haven't cheated anyone. It's Jesus whose love and compassion for someone like Zacchaeus that we marvel at. This isn't Zacchaeus's I gotta get right with God moment. Okay, like, I talked about this before at WinterCon, if you were there, I apologize, it's going to be repetitive. When I hit rock bottom and was really in despair, that, that was kind of my mantra in life. I got to get right with God. I kept saying that to myself, despite constantly and consistently heading away from God. What Jesus is saying here isn't a reward for Zacchaeus' works of repentance, but it's a fulfillment of the fact that Jesus brings Zacchaeus into recognizing him as a true seeker and savior of the lost. And now Zacchaeus can enjoy him forever. For those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. And we read this later in Galatians 3. Because as far as Zacchaeus was, as much as he goes to Jericho to seek out Jesus on this road, we have to recognize Jesus is intentionally walking this road to Jerusalem in order to stop by this particular sycamore tree, in order to speak to this man, Zacchaeus, because he is seeking him. What kind of God is he? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. When Zacchaeus was cheating his countrymen out of money, 
Jesus was seeking him. When I was the furthest that I could have been from God in body, mind, and heart, Jesus was seeking me. And wherever you've been, wherever you are now, Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. This is a message of now. Because wherever the gospel is preached, whenever it is preached, the message of salvation, Jesus, the word of God, he's here with us. He stands before the tree that you've climbed up to get a better look or to hide from him or whatever you're doing up this tree. And he says, come down from there because I have a tree that I have to climb in just a week's time. Do you feel too far gone for God? Do you wish that your heart believed the way that your mouth does? Do you feel like your sins are too many? too great for him to deal with. Isaiah 1.18 reads this, Come, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. As a case of story, it might be the only time in the Gospels that we see Jesus invite himself to someone's house. But in the Gospel of Grace, what we experience each time is that we find that the Lord Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and knocks. And he says, if you hear his voice and open the door, he will come in and eat with you and you with him. Now, if you've spent any time reading through the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus comes near to the poor and the powerless. You can see this very clearly. But when you come to Zacchaeus' story, what do you see? You see that Jesus is also friend. He welcomes the rich and the oppressors as well. How does this sit with you? Because Jesus doesn't fellowship with just one type of people. Instead, he brings the good news of great joy to all who are lost. All in need of peace, rich or poor, strong or powerless. Now, how does this sit with you? We just got done talking about how no one is too far gone for God. Does this apply just for you and for people like you? Or does this apply for everyone around you? You have to be aware of your prejudices, especially during this time. Who among you would celebrate if someone who is incredibly rich and powerful, who had a direct hand in your own financial unhappiness and struggles in life, were to come in and receive grace from God himself. But we must celebrate. Grace scandalizes us because it is forever undeserved, which means that it also includes those that we would really like to exclude. But maybe we can talk about it next week. For now, let's recognize that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost, so let's acknowledge his role as seeker as initiator and as savior through the communion. The communion can help us to acknowledge Jesus in these things because it's us being fed by God. It's a recognition that he is provider. He is initiator and he's the one who seeks and saves the lost. What is the communion? The communion is an act of remembrance. We look into the past and we see that Jesus went up the tree to die for our sins, the tree of the cross, that he might bear our punishment and even receive our scorn and our hatred as well. 
The communion is also our continued dependence on Jesus. For just as God's grace was what we needed for salvation, we continue to need his grace every day for a life of fullness, a life of holiness. And the communion is also a glimpse into the future. Because together we participate in this glimpse of the future day that we hope in. The marriage supper of Jesus and the church at the Lord's return. When every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord as we welcome him. Now here at New Life, we celebrate and participate together in the communion on the first Sunday of each month. Hear the reading of scripture. 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now this passage is a great reminder that it's Jesus who bears our sins, and we come to the table under his righteousness. If you call yourself a Christian, then place your own feelings of unworthiness aside and approach the communion table with God's Christ's all-sufficient worthiness. Now remember, the communion is a nourishment for all of us who are unworthy. So we who have been taken in by the allure of the treasures of this earth, we are able now to take time to pray, to reflect, and to examine ourselves, and to confess and repent before God, who gives us fresh opportunity to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. Communion is also a great opportunity for us to welcome in those who have not yet received the Spirit to now place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If this is you, we ask that you place your trust in Jesus for your salvation and pray to God, asking him to open your eyes that you might be given revelation regarding his son Jesus. And also join us in coming and taking the communion and then make yourself known to us at the conclusion of the service so we can follow up with you. I'm going to invite New Life's ministry directors to come to the front of each aisle. We'll also have one person who's going to be kind of roaming and attending to the serving volunteers here on stage in the multimedia room and the children's ministry and also the parents in the parents' room. So parents, you don't have to force yourself to come out. Uh, The ministry director who is furthest, so Richard, uh, will have the gluten-free communion for those who have allergies as well. So if you have allergies, we ask that you uh, head over to where Richard is and receive the communion. So please come forward as soon as you're ready to receive the communion and then take it back to your seats and wait for everyone to be served so that we can take it together.
open that first layer. He came to die for us, and this is his body given for you. Father, in this Advent season, we think upon, we meditate upon the coming of your Son, Jesus, upon this earth. When he was born to us as a helpless, humble baby, born in a manger, in humble circumstances, and yet in the communion, we reflect upon his coming death as well. Thank you for your Son, Jesus, who came to die for us live the perfect sinless life that we couldn't live so that we might now receive the rewards that were due to him. Thank you, Lord, that you beckoned for us to come down from our tree, our tree of desperation, where we built up for ourselves all of our works, all of our sins, and everything in between. You tell us to come down so that you might go upon that cursed tree, you might die for us, that you might be raised again on the third day, and that we might receive the gift of eternal life and this eternal fellowship and communion with you. We now look to that future day when you, Lord Jesus, will return, and every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. No longer will you have to put up with all of the scorn and the hatred as when you welcome Zacchaeus in. But at that time, you will be received the way that you should be, as the eternal king. We declare now that you are king over our hearts. So would you make yourself king in our lives? May we place all other things aside, all of our desires, all of our desperation for other things, that we might be desperate for you, that we might love you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.